through in the on the financial side of the business and back in 2020 named the president of Swift Transportation and I think is you know sitting in one of the the places that is best suited to be able to describe what's going on in our industry right now what's going on in the asset and non-asset space and what are those things that are being done to try to deal with some of those things that are particularly challenging post-pandemic. So let's start right there, Adam. We're in a position right now where capacity is is in a spot that it hasn't stayed for a long time. Why don't you speak a little bit about what you're seeing right now around capacity in the market? Yeah, sure. No, pre- appreciate the question here, George. Uh, you know, the driver market, it's always been a challenge in our space. I think there's been panels that go back decades talking about, you know, how do we solve the driver shortage? Uh, you know, historically, we've seen capacity tightness. We've been able to raise driver pay at a certain level. And typically, you would see, you know, drivers begin to enter the market as that, you know, the pay differential from other vocations started to to spread. And, and you know, people would come in and despite the lifestyle challenges uh, that's incurred from, you know, being over the road, they they were they were able to make make sense of it because how much how much they were being paid. Today, that hasn't really been the case. I think there's been some structural changes in the driver environment over the last kind of year or two that have really put challenges on you know attracting people to this space. I think you know one would be the drug and alcohol clearinghouse that went into effect mm-hmm. uh, January of last year, which we think was a was a great move and I think makes our streets so much safer. And we've certainly seen improvements from a safety standpoint, and I think our industry will continue to see those as we kind of disqualify those that are, you know, uh, drug users, people who failed pre-employment uh, drug screens. And, and but at, the result of that has been about 4,600 drivers a month have been disqualified from from our industry, which is, you know, amounted now to almost 70,000 drivers. And I think that's really put a strain on getting good uh, or I guess the number of drivers that enter our space, but I think what is coming are better quality drivers. Uh, we think there's probably more that needs to happen from a safety standpoint. We've instituted follicle drug testing, you know, at night and swift. Um, and, you know, I think we disqualify several several drivers every single week that can pass a urine test but can't pass a follicle drug test. Again, we believe it's in the investment and the safety of our of our business. But, you know, some of these challenges as well as the fact that you have rich unemployment benefits mm-hmm. has made it very difficult to attract enough drivers to the space to keep up with just natural attrition that's occurring you know in, in in our space we were really we saw growth from the baby boomer generation who are who are now retiring and and so we've done quite a bit over the last probably 6 to 8 months from a driver pay perspective and raising base pay multiple times adding incentives in, even offering now a guaranteed minimum wage every week if you're available to work. And it really hasn't made a dent. If anything, we're, we're running to stand still or just slowing the bleeding. So the, the capacity situation is is very difficult out there. And, you know, COVID obviously didn't help. I think social distancing is, is, is a challenge when you're trying to train drivers, right? You think about being in the classroom and an academy and then road tests where you're sharing an eight by eight box with a with mm-hmm. a perfect stranger and then after you you know achieve your cdl then you typically have to go through a training program which is being over the road for six weeks or so with with another stranger and so you've just seen classroom sizes really uh shrink down probably at 40 50 percent capacity 
and then just the number of people willing to go in with a trainer and then the number of people willing to train. So that has really put a, uh, you know, made it very difficult to find enough drivers. Uh, we're kind of fighting our way through it. Certainly the available capacity we have is down from what it was uh, a year ago. And, you know, we're doing what we can to be creative from a pay standpoint and to make the job a much more um, or a much better job for our drivers and, you know, trying to address pain points that they may have over the road, um, pain points they may have just with workflow and, and working, um, you know, in, in this difficult field. And I think as we make those investments, we hopefully see better retention and, and better recruiting numbers. So I really appreciate all those thoughts. And as you described, uh, Adam, this has been discussed for a long time, but I think we're in a position, I think you well stated, we're in a challenge now around drivers and, and you in, you know, your position, such a significant, well-respected carrier having those kind of challenges. It's obviously going to be resonating across the rest of the industry. So let me, let me turn a little bit and, and say one of the other things that's been talked about on panels and otherwise for years are shippers of choice or how can the shipper community raise their game to where they're more desirable for a partner like a Swift or a Knight to to work with. Uh, a lot of lip service over the years may have been paid to that. Some of my time might have been spent flapping my lips about it. But are we at a point now with what you described so eloquently, the challenge that's out there, are your shipper partners listening? Are you seeing in what you're getting in bid responding and, and the like? Are you seeing that the needle's moving even a little bit in shippers trying to be better partners for their carriers? I mean, certainly we're having a lot more discussion around that this year than we would have maybe a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. right? And I think our feedback to our shippers is you know, hits on a couple of different areas that I think would, would help improve the job for our drivers. Number one would be flexibility, right? Flexibility of when a driver can pick up and deliver a load. I think in our space, you know, we're, we're hired to deliver the transportation, yet we typically don't set the appointment of when we can pick up or when we can deliver. And sometimes those load, th those windows can be very tight for drivers, which make it a challenge to deliver safely. Right. And sometimes those windows are too long where the load just doesn't have the right velocity. So you, you, you limit the productivity for a driver, which, you know, hurts their paycheck. And so I think providing flexibility for our drivers on both the, the pickup and delivery is critical to be a, to be a shipper of choice. I think having consistency as well of the freight. I mean, sometimes we see shipments range from you might do five in one day and then the next day it's 25 and so it's it's sometimes difficult to line out a schedule for our drivers when you see in, you know the volatility in shipments and i know that's not always easy to smooth out but i think that's another area we talk about and then just the amenities that they have what's available for the driver can they can they rest at their locations do they have restrooms available right do they have food available to purchase i mean those are those are some of the things that that uh make shippers um you know, more, uh, I guess, more accommodating to drivers and a driver mm -hmm. who wants to haul for those shippers. So those are a lot of the conversations we've had. And, and again, we've had a lot more open dialogue. And I think there are a lot of our customers who are trying to make progress towards that. It's just 
they have to make adjustments in their supply chain to do so. So it's not always easy to make that happen. But I think, you know, we're trying to partner up to solve the capacity issue together. So let's let's leverage from that. I, I really think that's interesting. So let's leverage and talk about the shippers a little bit and how you're seeing in the in this world of supply and demand, uh, given that they're the demand and you're the supply. How are your uh, shippers or how are contract rates with your shippers performing? Are, you know, are they are, are, are routing guides staying, you know, more solid than they were? Are you are you getting, you know, that talking the discussions are, are, are terrific. And are you seeing then actions where we said we were going to give you this and a commitment and we've, we're reaching our commits? Are you seeing contract rates being you know, more adhered to, and are you seeing them directionally move, um, as, as I would expect, they're probably moving up somewhat? Yeah, I think what I would say is the, the demand for particularly one-way capacity is at mm-hmm. unprecedented levels. And, you know, there's the, our industry has always been cyclical, and I think the cyclicality is predominantly, at least the last several cycles, been driven by capacity. It's shortages, and then we oversupply. Uh, today, you have a shortage while demand has been very strong. You have right. customers who got record demand in-store and then through e-commerce as well. And there's been a shift of consumers, certainly during the pandemic, where they're spending more on goods versus services. And so our, you know, our services are, are needed that much more. Uh, I would say that most of the commitments that were made, m- most shippers are, are needing more than the commitments that were gotcha. originally made with the bids. And so that's led to a lot of discussions around rate. Certainly, mm-hmm. as we as we talked about having to raise driver pay, that's also led the discussions around what we need to do to secure the capacity to meet their needs. Uh, we've talked about in uh, our latest public report that we expect contract rates to range in that mid, you know, teens range in terms mm-hmm. of increases on a year over year basis, and certainly we're seeing that. I think what's also telling in the industry is how many mini bids you have. So you'll have right. customers who'll do a, you know, their their full their full national bid, but then when they see fallout, when they see carriers who aren't able to service what they were awarded or reject the the award, that they're having to come to come out with mini bids, which is not all that uncommon. But the the rate that we're seeing and the size of them is unprecedented, and that tells us that there's still a lot of fallout in their supply chains and they need a lot more capacity than they currently have. And, you know, today they're probably having to go to the spot market and we see spot right. market rates are a huge premium to contract rates. And so I think that's going to lead contract rates to, to have to meaning, meaningfully improve this year from, from where they were this time last year. So we're certainly seeing that. Uh, we're trying to work as closely as we can with our customers to, again, secure capacity, but also have rates that work for, for, the, for, for our business as well as there. And, you know, and the market's moving so quickly today where rates that we, you know, put on a bid six months ago are already stale. Right. Some, some cases even three months ago that, wow. are, that are already stale. So it's just moving that quickly that we just have to stay on top of where that market is headed. And, and again, we're continuing to invest in our drivers. And so as we're making those investments, we, we have discussions with customers about what, what would happen from a rate standpoint to support that investment. So as you as you think about that nimbleness that um, that Swift needs in order to be able to provide the kind of service to your customers and return to your shareholders, Adam, it sounds like with mini bids, with this um, focus on how are you going to uh, 
price your services to be able to serve the customers at the level that you you that they've been accustomed to that your background finance accounting coming from that side would seem to be serving the company well as as well as as you're recruiting if you're if you're needing to be nimble with numbers every 3 to 6 months it seems like the pricing department for lack of a better description the way that you're doing things is it is that really something that you're in, in, in your position you're focusing on to, I guess, provide both the, the person power and the technology to, to let and have swift transportation be as nimble as you need to be? Yeah, certainly. And I think it's it's about having a balance within your your market team. Right. So you have an account management team who's taking the day to day orders coming in from customers. Need, they need to understand where our commitments are, where the market is, where it's heading. You have your sales team who are finding opportunities, engaging with customers, and you have your pricing team who's looking at the bid information and, and are tracking to the market and trying to understand, again, where we need to put ourselves in a position from a rate standpoint to be successful. All three of those team members, the leaders there, have to be on the same page. Now, there's there's you know give and take on both sides, which you want to be balanced. But if you don't have all three of them working together, you're not going to be successful. So it's not just pricing, it's not just sales, not just account management. All three have to work together, and so that's what we. I think we've done a great job historically at night with those three groups partnering, but at Swift, that was a lot of our focus following the merger is how you bring those groups together because they didn't communicate as well as they should have, and therefore I don't know that we really reacted to the market historically like like we should have. And I think we've done we've made some market improvements in that. And I think those teams are working as well together as they, as they ever have. And I think the results, the results would show that. So, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, with the merger, the, the largest fleet running out there, it's incumbent upon me for the folks viewing to, to get your perspective on where is technology going and let's go back inside the truck. Uh, I'm talking about drivers, making their life be as efficient and effective as possible. Where where do you see that technology um, spectrum moving towards? There's, you know, obviously tons of talk around, uh, you know, electronic vehicles, electric vehicles around automation. Where, you know, Adam, what are, what are you thinking about in these next sort of three to five years that are going to, differentiate your fleet going to continue to make your fleet be one of the most efficient out there and and i guess that the final part of that's going to be our our shippers pushing you towards new technologies so that their corporate governance their esg challenges are met yeah so so there there was a lot in that question so i got a lot i want to get from adam sorry about yeah, that yeah so you know on on the driver piece right Okay, what we can do to, to enhance the, the technology for our drivers. It's about the experience in the cab for them. Right. Right. And so, you know, a lot of the in-cab telematics were, were very, very dated, especially especially in our fleet, and they needed to be modernized. And and so we actually partnered, we actually acquired a company recently uh, called Elios, who is uh, devoted to building, you know, a digital experience, a digital workflow for drivers and are doing so with, with many of our peers. Uh, we were a longtime customer of theirs and felt like it was an investment that we wanted to make to, to continue to enhance that technology. And so we're now working towards 
uh, creating this digital experience for our drivers in the cab. So they have a modernized tablet that creates great workflow, great directions, great feedback, anticipates moves, um, gives the drivers transparency and, and an easy way to connect with our operations, whether it's in the tablet, in the truck, or even on their phone. I mean, we replicate those experiences. So I think that's been important for us and an investment we've been making for quite some time. And, and uh, with the investment with Elios, I think we'll, we'll enhance that. So that's on the driver front, what we're doing. You know, we're also making investments, and this may not look, sound like technology, but in trailers, right? Trailers have become very valuable in our space. And, you know, between Knight and Swift, we own one of the largest trailer fleets in the country. We have 60, 000, just under 60,000 trailers. And we'll be, make, we'll be continuing to invest in that trailer fleet, probably adding another 6,000 this year. And, th- and those trailers are fungible between all of our different lines of business. So we think about customers who need more capacity. We have a logistics arm that you know generates about 400 million of revenue a year and, and growing that can do a lot by partnering with our asset-based business and providing third-party capacity, but leveraging a Swift or a Knight trailer. So our customers get the same experience of a drop and hook you, you know, um, uh, load that creates efficiencies for their warehouses on both ends but yet they have access to third-party capacity. And, and so I think that is a differentiator for us in terms how, of what services we can offer and how we can grow that business. And you know, the non-asset players would struggle to do that. They don't have the scale from a trailer perspective. And you know, there's other asset-based brokers. I think they're making investments there. But I think for us, having 60,000 trailers that are all available for power only does give us you know, an advantage of being able to scale that 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 uh, service offering for our customers. So that, I think that's another way that we're, you know, we're leveraging investments to, to differentiate ourselves on, um, you know, other technology. Sorry, George, did you? No, go, no, go ahead. That power only really intrigues me because that investment um, really does differentiate you from the other providers. You know, there've been intermodal investments around, but to do that in this way and then tie together, like you're saying, multiple players to be able to provide provide that that power only really seems like a like a like a big focus for you yeah certainly and and then create the same experience from a service standpoint from right. a communication transparency standpoint i mean that that is a major investment we're making and so on the logistics front we've we've created our select platform that allows us to interact digitally with our carriers for them to to see the power only or even the live load live unload opportunities and to to interact with us on a you know through that platform has allowed us to gain efficiencies in our brokerage business. So I mean that's our focus. When we when we invest in technology, it's not about a headline, it's about how we improve our business and how mm-hmm. we generate returns. That's we've always been a very return focused business and we generate a lot of free cash flow today. I think over the last 12 months it's been over 700 million and we're going to make investments and technology that generates returns. And we're going to make investments in our fleet that adds capacity, even in an environment where, where drivers are difficult. And, and I think for us, it's about creating a frictionless experience for our customers, our drivers, and our third-party partners. So let me, I'm going to have to land the plane. I wish I could, I could go. It's obvious my enthusiasm for what uh, you're bringing, Adam, and what Swift is is doing in the marketplace, I'm I'm really in, interested in. But 
Let me land the plane on one of those elements uh, that I had asked about in that long-winded question around ESG and corporate governance and how how are how are you balancing that today? How are you thinking about what investments you're going to make and the free cash flow is remarkable. Congratulations for those kinds of results. How are you thinking about what you need to do over the next three to five years or longer to meet what your shipper, what your shipper customers are asking for Swift to do? Yeah, certainly. And, and corporate responsibility is something we take very seriously. We actually just issued our latest uh, sustainability report a couple of weeks ago. So that's out there on our investor website. Uh, we're making the investments in, in technology that we believe is the future. And so we do have an electric truck that we have in, in one of our port operations. Uh, you know, there's still some challenges. There's still a lot of things to work through in, in that technology. I mean, when it comes to electrification, it's about weight, it's about range, and it's about cost, right? It has to make economic sense. And, and range is still a challenge. And that's why it's in our port business where we have a shorter length of haul. Weight still becomes a little bit of an issue, but as as the battery technology improves, I think that that technology becomes more viable. It's probably got a better application in shorter lengths of haul. With again in the port, maybe some tray fleets on the intermodal side. I, I still think we're a little ways away from that being uh, an option for one way over the road capacity. I think there's some hydrogen technology that's out there mm-hmm. that we we're, we're working with certain partners that we have a lot of respect for and have a great relationship with, and we want to be on the forefront of that. So we're we're open to testing with them and making the investments if we think it made sense economically, but also from a corporate responsibility standpoint. You mentioned autonomous as well, and so that's technology that um, we're very much behind the scenes working with the different partners. I've had the the, the pleasure of, of being in several test rides with 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 our with the different providers there, I think you know that technology will develop over time. It'll probably be iterative. I think the, I think the technology will get there over time. I do feel like the economics today, as they stand, are a little bit challenged, mm-hmm. especially on a kind of ramp to ramp or uh, hub to hub type approach where you still need a driver to pick up a load on the front end and take it to a, to a drop yard and then a driver to pick up the load and deliver it to the customer. That's really the most expensive part of, of the driver pay when you think about it from a per mile standpoint. And so today the economic models of what, what the, the autonomous providers would like to charge for that service, even in a hub to hub, may not make enough sense because it doesn't take enough driver pay out of the equation. And and so we're working with them to, to, to kind of walk through the logic behind that. I do feel like there's going to be a lot of application for longer length of haul, freight opportunities, team expedited, that maybe maybe even the LTL space, that's 700 plus length mm-hmm. of haul. And I think then you start competing with intermodal for that yeah. business as well. I think that shorter length of haul, that four to 500 range, it's still challenged economically, but I think the technology is, you know, is developing, and we're staying very close to to many different partners, especially with the OEMs. and And again, we we're going to make the investment, we're going to test, and and uh, you know, it's something that's a technology that that I think it's you know important for us to to ensure that you know we make the investment when it's right for for Knight and Swift. I really appreciate the time, Adam. Unfortunately, they're giving me the hook, and they're going to need to move on to some of the wonderful content that we've got, but. Thanks for taking the time. I know how busy uh, your schedule is. I appreciate your leadership in the industry. FreightWaves always wants to make sure that we, we say thank you to, to your team and your drivers for 
keeping the country in business throughout the pandemic prior to and, of course, afterwards. And appreciate your spending the time with uh, with us today, FreightWaves Live at Home. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Thanks, George. Appreciate you having me. I'm George Abernathy. Enjoy the rest of our wonderful content during FreightWaves Live at Home Summit. And I do very much look forward to seeing Adam, his team at Swift Transportation, and all of you at the Future of Freight Festival here in Chattanooga in November. Looking forward to seeing people in person again. Thank you. We're done.